Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. We absolutely support Israel's right to defend itself in line with international law. We need to safeguard financial stability. 2024 is not going to be an easy year. We used to call it the dream of home ownership. But look at Britain now. We've got to hang on to optimism and hope because it is the biggest driver of change. Let's stop thinking of life in terms of Brexit. Let's move on and look for the future. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Lizzie Verdon. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Welcome to the programme. Happy Valentine's Day, Lizzie. I also noted on my social media that there are people also saying it's International Burnout Day. So I think you can pick your pick your narrative for today. But if we're thinking about some potential romance, we'll be talking a little bit about the latest inflation figures in the UK. Perhaps, you know, that's setting up the Bank of England to... Uh, Bit of bit of romance with the the treasury, perhaps over the, tra- the trajectory for this is like the most unromantic idea. Mm, fiscal trajectory. Well, they don't like to be seen to be too close lovers. The old lady of Threadneedle Street and Number Ten, because <laughs> does that make the treasury the old man? <laughs> I don't know. Is that what it's called in while? But it could be a bit of a danger for the governor if Rishi Sunak calls an early election and that coincides with rate cuts, because it could look like actually the governor's helping him out with his campaign. Yeah. And Indeed. I mean, look, this is a story that we've talked about an awful lot on the programme as well. And we'll have our chief UK economist, Dan Hansen, explaining all of the implications of what we learned from the inflation numbers today, which were better than had been expected, although still prices rising, which is the point that we should point out as well. Um, let's turn, though, to another story that's uh, featuring uh, in, in the political world today and the latest troubles facing the Labour Party. They're having issues over their parlim- another parliamentary candidate, but it's also worth pointing out there's been a new poll um, out this morning from Savanta talking about their lead uh, over the Conservatives shrinking to the lowest since June 2023, a 12-point gap now between Labour and the Conservatives. Now, they this is, it's worth saying, uh, polling that was carried out between the 9th and the 11th of February by Savannah, so it would have been before some of the latest controversies in the party, uh, but showing their support dropping by five points compared to the last poll at the end of January. So 41% for the Labour, 29% for the Conservatives, 11 for the Lib Dems. Um, Mm, Okay, well, let's dig into some of those difficulties. Graham Jones, who was due to stand in Lancashire, has been suspended pending an investigation due to comments that he reportedly made about Israel. For more, we've brought back Bloomberg's senior UK government reporter, Alex Wickham. He was with us yesterday, but we thought he'd haul him in again. Alex, just catch us up on the latest here. So, yes, Graham Jones, former Labour MP for Hindburn in Lancashire, running again in the seat. He was also recorded in this same meeting uh, that Azza Ali, the Labour's Rochdale candidate, was uh, you know, going into all that trouble over. He, Graham Jones was also report, recorded in the same meeting, making some pretty uh, inflammatory comments, referring to Israel repeatedly with an expletive and uh, saying that he thought that any Britain who went to fight uh, for the Israel Defence Forces should be locked up. 
uh, Labour have acted very swiftly in this case and immediately suspended him pending an investigation um, as their as their candidate in that seat. So it is unfortunately for Labour Party's second uh, you know, suspension of a candidate in two days. Just to give us a bit of context here for for those who mightn't have heard of Graham Jones. Who is he? Former Labour MP, you know, he's a uh, he's been Labour MP for a while, but he but but lost in the last uh, election. Uh, Hindburn is the constituency uh, in the northwest of England, and you know he's a sort of a he's not a Jeremy Corbyn supporter, put it that way. He was on he was on the more sort of centrist side of the party. Um, and you know he, which is interesting in the context of of how things have gone with these suspensions over the last few months. Um, but yeah, running again for the party, uh, supposedly back in the tent, seen as someone you know absolutely well connected in Labour circles, and and again sort of relatively well liked, a little bit like Azza Ali. Um, but he has come a cropper uh, thanks to, a, to this sort of undercover recording. I feel like you were just hinting at this, but we had Martin Ford Casey on yesterday. He, of course, led the review into allegations of bullying and racism in the Labour Party. And he had a kind of theory that if you're on the left of the Labour Party, you'll get disciplined for anti-Semitism faster. But if on, you're on the right of the party and you do something wrong, you're going to be shown leniency. Does this, and it's not anti-Semitism, we should be clear, uh, that Graham Jones has been suspended over. But does this incident show that actually Ford's theory isn't all right. I think Labour are determined to show that Ford's theory is not right. I mean, the reality is that you know, the reason why Martin Ford said that is that there is some some evidence that, that to, towards what he's saying. You know, that Labour has been very quick to suspend people like Andy Macdonald, a left wing Labour MP who was uh, you know, made inflammatory anti-Israel comments. Uh, people like Diane Abbott, Kate Ossimore, who are on the left of the party, very quickly disciplined by the party for for uh, you know, issues with things that they've said. Whereas as as a ally, not on the left of the party necessarily. Um, you know, they took forty eight hours really to 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 get get rid of him, and they really their initial reaction was to stand by him. So you know, there are other things that played to be fair to low party. So you could argue, playing devil's advocate, that this was a by election with as ally. It was a particularly difficult case. They didn't want to lose it. You know, you really don't want to lose a candidate in the middle of a by election campaign when it's too late to replace him. They probably thought, oh, you know, he. This is relatively out of character for him. I imagine they had those conversations for those sort of that sort of twenty four forty eight hour period before further comments by him came to light. But clearly, Labour and Keir Starmer are aware of this sort of allegation that there is a double standard between whether you're on the left of the party or not, and they they, they want to shut that down. And I also think that Labour are just now very very nervous of anti-Semitism or uh, anti-Israel comments becoming a theme again for the party and they're now in a, in, a, in a sort of mode of any problem, shut it down immediately get rid of the person. Does that mean that there could be more controversial comments beyond, you know, a broader range of issues and more candidates being suspended? You know, is this something that we could actually see further MPs fall over or candidates? I mean, this is this is the problem for Labour and they are very nervous today that this comes back as a theme. Reality is, Labour Party have spent a lot of time over the last few years under Keir Starmer sorting out their candidate selection. You, they, they often brag about how they've sort of purged the, the, the Corbynista left from the party and some of the people that would, you know, shall we say, be more likely to make inflammatory comments that have been got rid of as candidates. But 
clearly there are still some remaining with questionable views and you know it is inevitable you can bet anything you want that Tory HQ will be combing through the social media of every single Labour candidate there'll be sneaking people into Labour meetings than they will have been doing so for months to try and trip up and catch out other people making unguarded comments and trying to to you know turn this into another theme for Keir Starmer. So it is very acutely a political threat to Starmer and how he handles these sorts of things will be watched very closely over the next few weeks. Just on a human level you do have to wonder if you're standing why you would say anything controversial even in private you know? Yeah, well, certainly I think the level of scrutiny being applied to all parliamentary candidates, particularly in the Labour Party, is something that we should expect more of, as, as Alex was saying. Alex Wickham, our senior UK government reporter, thanks very much. And you can listen back to our interview with Martin Ford KC on yesterday's episode of the podcast. Just go to Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, in the midst of everything else going on, it's worth remembering that voters will be going to the polls tomorrow in two by-elections. That's the constituencies of Kingswood in Gloucestershire and Wellingborough in Northamptonshire. Now, that's after the resignation of two Tory MPs, of course, there's another upcoming vote in the Rochdale by-election in two weeks' time as well. Our by-election specialist is Ewan Potts. He's actually currently working in Dubai, but we've brought him back specially uh, to be able to talk about these by-election votes for us. Ewan, great to have you on. I just have this vision of you kind of sitting in the sun in Dubai, poring over constituency maps of various parts of the UK. Um, Let's start with the vote that we had in, that we're going to have tomorrow in Kingswood. What should we be expecting? Hello, Stephen and Lizzie. I want to know how the weather is in London first. Oh, awful. You're Grim. not missing anything. <laughs> well, I'm very sorry to hear that. <laughs> Let me talk to you about these, these by-elections. Now, the general election is going to be fought not in the big cities or the countryside. It's going to be fought in the suburbs and the towns. And rather neatly, the tomorrow, tomorrow's by-elections, the two by-elections fit into those two categories. Now, Kingswood is a suburban seat just to the eastern edge of Bristol. It was held with an 11,000 majority at the last election. So pretty much fits into quite marginal territory. Uh, interesting thing about Kingswood is it's always or almost always voted with the national mood. In fact, in every single election since 1974, bar one, it has voted the same way as the winning party. So it was a Tory seat throughout the 1980s and it was a Labour seat in the Blair years. Now, at the last election, the Tories held Kingswood with a 23% majority. So it needs an 11.5% swing. This is very much uh, the kind of seat which Labour needs to win if it's to get a majority. So this uh, should be within uh, Labour's grasp. They've certainly got much, they've certainly had much bigger swings than this uh, in recent by elections. So that is Kingswood. So it's a bit of a weather vane then. What about Wellingborough? Well, Wellingborough in Northamptonshire is uh, pretty much uh, small town territory. Peterbone was a subject of a recall petition. That's how we got to this by-election. This was a seat which voted very heavily to leave the European Union. It's the kind of territory which Labour has really struggled in in uh, recent elections. On the face of it, Wellingborough is a very safe Tory seat. It's got an 18,500 majority. Labour need an 18% swing here. Now, while it is a solid Tory seat, it's not a seat which hasn't seen uh, Labour representation in the relatively recent past. Uh, it was uh, a Labour seat uh, which was won by the uh, by Blair in 1997 in that landslide and uh, held on to in uh, the most boring election in recent history in 2001. Uh, Peter Bone took the uh, seat for the Tories in 2005. He just uh, squeaked it uh, in that election and he's built up his uh, majority ever since. So this is 
a seat which I think uh, Labour would perhaps fancy their chances in in a general election uh, if they're to do very, very well. But it's not uh, it's not easy territory for Labour. So this one needs a, a, a much bigger swing th- than Kingswood. OK, you also, if we look a little bit further ahead, we've got two weeks to go still in the campaign in Rochdale. But of course, Labour withdrawing support for their candidates really thrown that race up in the air. Yeah, it certainly has. This is this seat is uh, really a, a very different kettle of fish. It's got an interesting history, actually. It was a Liberal seat for uh, 20 years up to 1992. Uh, Labour uh, took it uh, in 2005. Uh, you remember, of course, the there was the uh, votes. Uh, the uh, Iraq War, of course, uh, narrowed their vote a lot. There, UKIP uh, did uh, very well here. They came second in that election. Uh, the latest election in 2019, it was held with a 20% majority over the Conservatives. In fact, it's it's a seat which has a very large uh, Muslim population. It's about 30% Muslim, and of course, uh, events uh, in the Middle East are very much having an impact on this seat as is the presence of George Galloway. Of course, George Galloway is somebody who has got by-election form. He won the Bradford West by-election, a similar demographic in 2012. That was the second biggest swing uh, this uh, century. And of course, uh, Labour's candidate, not being Labour's candidate, he will be on the ballot paper with the Labour rosette, but he is not the Labour Party candidate. He's really going to muddy the water here. So this is going to be a fascinating election. Also keep an eye on the Reform UK vote. It'll be interesting to see how much the... uh, relatively new reform party can uh, sweep up some of those residual uh, far-right votes that we've seen in this constituency uh, in the past. So that's another thing to keep an eye on in the Rochdale by-election. Yeah, when a party doesn't do well in a by-election, they tend to tell you that by-elections don't favour government parties and it's not a general election. But how much read across is there likely to be? You mentioned reform. Of course, the government is going to be really on the watch out for reform at the general election. Yeah, well, in a way, they're right. These are not uh, general elections. And of course, when you go to vote in a general election, you have to think about your uh, family's finances, the state of the country. People really give it a a lot of thought. When you're just electing one person in a by-election, you can go out and protest and it's not going to change the government. But I think by-elections are interesting because they uh, are kind of way markers uh, during a parliament. You remember this parliament started with the very uh, unusual event of, uh, of a governing party gaining from the opposition. The Tories took the seat of Hartlepool uh, from Labour at the beginning of this parliament. But after that, when it all kind of went downhill uh, for the Tories, they lost that seat in Chesham, a very safe seat to the Liberal Democrats. Uh, and since then, they've had a pretty patchy record. Uh, so the mood music coming, music, music coming from, the general, from the by-elections over the course of this parliament uh, has been pretty bad for the Conservatives. So although they're not general elections and we can't read across from the Wellingborough result what's going to happen in Wellingborough uh, in the general election, it does give an interesting indication of what voters are thinking. And most importantly, Ewan, it gives you a chance to shine with your knowledge of these parts. First of all, I'm impressed that you know where all these places are, because I definitely had to Google some of them. But this was not from this country. But the the other part of it is the, you know, the the the, the history. I, why is 2001 the most boring election on as a matter of interest? <laughs> well, it was an election. William Hay was the Tory party leader and he ran, ran on a slogan of uh, saving the pound. But nobody really thought the pound was under much threat at that point. Uh, and really, it was an election where there was only one show in town, and that was Tony Blair. And it's easy to forget now when a lot of people have mixed views of Tony Blair, particularly in the wake of the Iraq war, which, of course, hadn't happened at that point. 
but he was absolutely unstoppable. He won in 1997 with a huge landslide, and the Tories made absolutely no progress whatsoever over the course of that parliament. And 2001 was an election when really hardly any seats changed hands at all. It was really disappointing. People like me, we stayed up all night, we got the beers <laughs> out, and it was a total disappointment. All right, our very own Ewan Potts, thanks for taking us through those by-elections. And you can find a full list of the candidates for the Kingswood by-election on the South Gloucestershire Council website. You can also find a full list of the candidates for the Wellingborough by-election on the North Northamptonshire Council website. Well, earlier this morning, UK inflation defied expectations for the number for January, holding steady at 4% year on year, had it been expected to increase ever so slightly. That's a relief for the Bank of England and for markets who were braced for a nasty shock after the US inflation figures came in higher than expected yesterday. It's also a bit of a reprieve for the government, which of course had prioritised halving inflation by the end of the year and has taken credit for increased economic stability, even if, you might argue, it's not really in the government's control. Let's take a listen to what the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt had to say in response to this morning's figures. Inflation never falls in a straight line. And although it's welcome that it hasn't gone up today, uh, it is still double the target level of 2%. And we're not going to be able to relieve pressure on families until we hit that target. And the Bank of England feels able to reduce interest rates. So this is a time to stick to a plan that is clearly working but we need to make sure that we really get to that end point of inflation at 2%. Okay, so that was the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, not sounding triumphant, saying there's still work to do. Let's dig into the numbers now and what they actually mean politically with our Chief UK Economist, Dan Hansen. Dan, as the Chancellor said there, inflation is still twice the Bank of England's target, but most economists thought in this morning's data for January, inflation was going to rise. So which components unexpectedly fell or fell more than expected? So I think on that, I mean, getting right into the detail straight away, I Mm. mean, I think it was, I think for us at least, it was airfare prices. So that that was the bit of the, the basket that that fell um, quite significantly, and also the o- the ONS um, reweighted the CPI basket, uh, which which affects how how the different components affect the headline number, and that that had an impact too through through airfares as well. So historically, airfares is highly volatile. So you know there is an argument here for saying there's not a huge amount of news in this release. The downside surprise was driven by volatile components essentially, um, but I think nonetheless. And I think you sort of said it at the start there, Stephen, is that markets were really braced for a nasty surprise with this one. We've had a lot of nasty surprises in the UK. There was a timely reminder yesterday with what happened in the US. So I think the word is relief that things are basically on track. Um, you know, a slight, a slight miss, a 0.1 percentage point um, miss um, relative to consensus, but as I say, broadly on track relative to what most people were expecting. I've been completely distracted by the idea of you putting a flight into a basket of something <laughs> and then trying to balance that, which is totally distracted what I was thinking about. But the, I mean, the, the question around this is, is that w- when we read a market story about this, we talk about relief, good news. Will people actually feel it, though? Because prices are, in a lot of cases, still going up. They are. But if you look at if you look at prices, if you look at it on a sort of shorter term basis, the the pace of price gains has slowed quite considerably. If you look, at, we don't have a seasonally adjusted series here in the UK, but if you if you look at if you seasonally adjusted it yourself and have a look, actually, if you look at core inflation and headline inflation, they're both running on a sort of three month annualized basis at two percent, maybe a little bit below two percent. So that's really good news. 
obviously. But you're right, there's there's a difference between changes and levels. So you, you, there's a difference between prices being high and staying high and only rising by a little bit l- less fast than they were. Because mm. it's um, not prices coming down, right? No, 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 yeah. no, no, not at all. This is just prices rising less fast, as I say. So, yes, there is still this... A lot of a lot of households feeling this gap between their incomes and the cost of what they uh, have to shell out on the various goods and services that they buy. In its latest forecast, the Bank of England pointed out that the Chancellor's tax cuts in his autumn statement had an inflationary impact. And then today you've had a note warning that tax cuts in the spring budget would lead to mortgage increases. I'm wondering if inflation's in a better position than economists, most economists thought, does it leave Hunt with more wiggle room for giveaways before the election? So I th- just on what you said about the Bank of England and the autumn statement, I actually felt that they were quite um, forgiving of the tax cuts, for want of a better word, in mm. terms of their inflationary impact in the February inflation report. They were, or monetary policy report, as it is now, I should say. <laughs> the... Um, they said it would lift the level of GDP by about 0.3, those tax cuts by 0.3%, which is obviously a pretty small amount, but that there would be a supply boost as well. So the balance between supply and demand wouldn't be greatly affected and therefore the, the inflationary impact, there would be an inflationary impact, but it would be very, very, very minor. I mean, I think the cons- one of the tail risks, or the one of the risks, not even a tail risk, for the Bank of England's easing cycle and it getting going with cutting interest rates, the budget is one of them. And the note just attempts to sort of set out that there's not a huge amount of to gain from Jeremy Hunt putting out a tax-cutting budget that um, spooks markets. We saw what happened back in 2022. We don't want a repeat of that. So I think he's going to be really careful. And actually, it's not really how much headroom he has that will constrain him. It's making sure that he doesn't do anything that stops the Bank of England or gives the Bank of England um, reason to think twice about cutting interest rates. Because if you think about the election and um, what we've got ahead of us tax cuts are important but presumably falling interest rates are going to be important too we don't want mortgage mortgage rates rising if you're if you're trying to get re-elected um um back to parliament yeah of course and that speaks to the this idea of what you feel versus what actually is the 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 numbers that we're reading off these sorts of reports dan you used to work at the treasury and i'm wondering is there is it possible to achieve that kind of magical holy grail of taxes that you can cut that don't cost too much that aren't inflationary but will make everyone feel really good about themselves yeah i mean that is the holy grail isn't it (laughs) (laughs) one point i'd make on this is and it was really interesting it wasn't really picked up in the in the november autumn statement but the obr changed how it viewed tax cuts particularly on personal taxes so we know we got this 2p cut in national insurance Mm contributions now the obr were i would say pretty generous to the to the chancellor because we know you cut national insurance contributions it puts more money in people's pockets they go out and spend it but also it creates an incentive to work and the the obr said because obviously the the return on work is higher so the the obr actually said that 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 um channel would be the dominant channel of this tax cut. So in terms of when you think about going back to the inflationary point that you're, that you're getting at, it's that spending will go up, but people, the supply capacity of the economy or labour supply will increase as well. So I think if you're sort of, if you're going to bet on what he might, what Hunt might do in the autumn statement, uh, sorry, in the budget, knowing what's happened in the autumn statement, 
that might be something he looks at again on national insurance contributions, potentially instead of income tax, which which is levied on a wider wider range of income. Um, and he he'll hope that he gets a sort of a green light from the OBR and the Bank of England, which tends to follow the OBR's judgment, follow suit. So you kind of made the point that you want to have monetary and fiscal policy pulling in the same direction. What would make me feel richer, a rate cut or a tax cut? Is it possible to put a number on how much a rate cut is worth if it were a tax cut? Yeah, I mean, I think... I mean, it depends how much savings you have, Lizzie. <laughs> and this, is, this is a great test whether you've got, of how much you got, know about Lizzie's personal you, finances. Yeah, exactly. Whether you've got a mortgage. As but, you both look. know, I'm incredibly frugal. That's neither here nor there, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Ballpark figures very ballpark but we've got a we've got a model actually that's on the terminal for all bloomberg bloomberg users can have a look at it's called shock go mm. and you can put in 100 basis points of um easing um in interest rates so say interest rates fall by one percentage point that would probably lift the level of gdp by about a percent uh which is about in cash terms maybe 25 to 30 billion pounds uh in terms of giving that money in terms of tax, uh, tax cut, that's sort of maybe, what, 4p, 3, 3.5, 4p off income tax. So it's quite, quite substantial in terms of mm. um, the, money, the money that interest rates cuts can pump into the economy. Of course, it depends, as I say, on your savings, whether you, you have a mortgage, um, as to whether you see those interest rate falls appear appear quickly and how it affects you. You know, obviously your savings income will fall, but potentially you might face a lower mortgage payment, particularly if you're on a variable rate. That will feed through to you, to you much quicker. I mean, chances are people will feel the fiscal policy move faster, like okay. on, av- on, on average across the population. Yeah. It, it feeds through quicker. And as we'd know, timing is going to be all important then as we're thinking about an upcoming election exactly. as well. Dan Hansen, our Chief UK Economist, thank you very much. I'd like to point out for listeners as well, Dan, it sounds like that he's sort of doing those calculations on a piece of paper while he's here, but actually knows all these numbers off the top of his head, which I think is really very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly not something he could ever rely on me to do. That is it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by Tiwa Adebayo and our audio engineer was Marufal Hussain. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.